Welcome to Average Joe's Podcast. Uh, this is a podcast recapping the Akron Leadership Conference and uh, that happened a couple weeks ago, and as well as um, a proposal for Nationals, the reformat of Nationals, which is pretty cool. Um, I'm joined here by uh, Mario Romanelli. Honor Ford, uh, president of the NCDA, and I am calling in from the worst place in America, also known as Henrico, Virginia, um, just outside of Richmond. And this is Kevin Bailey, chief of content for the NCDA. And Grant Harajan, special guest here. Ziggy is hosting me and Mario in his house tonight, which is very pleasant. Uh, former DePaul dodgeball player. Becky's house as well. <laughs> um, Pretty as much just her house. Threw me a glare, which was warranted. Um, but yeah, glad to be in on this. And I thank Ziggy for hosting us. Ziggy and Becky for hosting us. I know. Uh, but former DePaul dodgeball player, and I play in the lead as well. So uh, happy to be here. Color commentary. Um, all right. So we're, we're talking about the Akron Dodgeball Conference to start off with. Um, uh, Akron Leadership Conference. Yep. For the NCDA, the National Collegiate Dodgeball Association. Um, this is a pretty cool event that happened. Uh, it was a great idea when when I saw like the live video coming in because I didn't go to nationals here. The live video coming in, <laughs> talking about um, Lesky proposing this idea. I was like, wow, that's a great thing. I, I would love to do it. And I was pleased to see like Wisconsin Platteville come out, bring a team. Um, a bunch of Grand Valley players, um, some great hosts at Akron as well. Is there anybody else that came out? Uh... Oh, yeah, absolutely. We had um, nine teams in attendance. Um, so you mentioned Akron, Wisconsin, Platteville, and GV. Um, we also had reps from Ball State, University of Cincinnati, Cleveland State, Kent State, Ohio State, and even Western Michigan, who uh, also, them along with Cincinnati just formed their teams last season. Um, we also had some alumni appearances as well, and I'll give a shout out to them later um, when we talk more into detail. But um, overall, I was definitely very pleased with the turnout, especially for you know this year being the first year ever. Um, and there was definitely a lot of positives to take away from it. Yeah, no, that's pretty great. Um, I'm excited for this to continue, and I hope it does because I think it's super valuable for new teams to do it and a lot of club sports uh will when i was doing stuff at tapal for the um student activity fee board like you know people would apply for money from the college there's a lot of this stuff that happened for like cheerleading club cheerleading um club hockey even so that's pretty cool that we're doing it as an organization for us to grow yeah absolutely and actually, even outside of, like I said, the teams that were there in attendance, um, we also had teams who were watching. Um, we were doing a live stream of the event uh, free to watch for um, teams. And we also had, I know off the top of my head, VCU had their reps watching. Bowling, uh, Bowling Green State had some of their reps watching as well. Um, and I don't know if there were some other teams that might have been watching, but... Um, it was nice that there were even some people participating who couldn't physically make the trek out there. So um, one of the things that I kind of want to start off like by talking about with that is um, realistically, you're not going to see a lot of uh, 
you're not going to see that type of commitment, I feel like, in a lot of um, other areas. By other areas, I mean, like, other club sports for the most part. Um, I've talked to – when we when Lusky um, first brought up the idea, I've decided to reach out to some of my old buddies at BCU who did other sports, such as swimming, uh, baseball, and um, – uh, table tennis, actually, and none of them had anything like that. Um, and it felt pretty cool, you know, just to think that, you know, not only were did we even have, you know, a good idea in coming up with this, but we were able to implement it. We had teams who um, were there, and they were very attentive. Um, everyone participated in discussions. There was a lot of um, diligent note taking. Um, I learned some brand new ideas. Uh, as well, and um, I think it just goes to really show how awesome our community is um, within the NCDA. So that was something that was really proud to see. That I was really proud to see as president. Kevin, how do you think uh, we handled the content regarding live streaming? Because I think that's pretty cool. The power of technology. Um, even people weren't there to um, have like Shadid do live stream. Uh, and get his people and everybody else watching yeah. from afar. Yeah, it was, uh, well, shout out to Shadid for coming and, and doing all of that because that was a huge help all weekend. He streamed both the, uh, the conference itself and then he also streamed the tournament that we held the next day. Um, but yeah, I think that especially in year one, we obviously didn't give that much, uh, time in advance before we announced this whole thing. Um, so it was great to have that option. So teams that maybe didn't have the means to come, were still able to uh, get all that, um, all that information that we were sharing at the conference. But so in the future, the board has discussed that uh, we may not stream the entire thing, but only stream parts of it. And the reason for that is to sort of incentivize people to actually come to the event and be there in person for the conference because of all the added benefits that there are to actually showing up. Uh, I know that the small group session that we did was super beneficial to all of the teams. I think that was one of the favorites for everyone that came. Uh, and, and just stuff like that and being able to have actual discussions with other teams that are there would be so helpful. So yeah, the live streaming's great and we'll definitely do that in some capacity moving forward, but we still definitely want everyone to be there in person. Yeah, to for sure. It's huge to be, it, a lot of people, at least the younger people generation, <laughs> I'm so old. Uh, <laughs> just, it's, it's really useful to be in person and, and see, see somebody's face and um, it just, reinforces the community nature behind our league too so good to see um any other uh passing comments anything else you would like to do next year for this event um me personally i think besides uh i think besides like kevin's points um regarding i think besides Kevin's point regarding like loading certain parts of the stream so that there's more of like incentive to be there in person. I also think it would be, a, I also think it would be a good time to, to kind of um, treat, treat it as an opportunity of 
I don't want to say like an earnings call type of thing, but something something to the extent of where we as an executive board can present to those in attendance, like, hey, these are the things that we did this past year. This is like our action plan for the upcoming season and then seasons beyond as well. And use it as an opportunity to kind of relay information to the rest of the league, like, hey, we have these ideas that we're planning on implementing. Um, and not only does it, you know, make people not only will it give teams an opportunity to see oh actually paying dues to this league that is going to you know do something with it um but it also gives them an opportunity to chime in on things that they you know would like to see us do or strategies that they might think are more effective so that they can get you know a quote-unquote return on their investment in a sense so yeah um that would be something that i would like to add going forward um i think it would be i think it's a good opportunity for us um like I said, as an executive board and as a league, but um, you know, overall, was still very satisfied with what we were able to accomplish. For sure. Um, well, that's probably good for. Uh, I'd, yeah, again, like it's just as a old staff member for me, it was great to see this happen. So I just wanted to thank you guys and all the people that made it happen and all the teams that came into it. Um, we also have a really cool proposal that that happened over the last couple weeks. Um, on the Reform Vienna Nationals, which has been kind of, uh, really hasn't changed since the start of the league in terms of it's uh, all people are invited. Uh, everybody's invited if you can make it, and then everybody gets in the bracket, which as we've grown to like 35 plus almost 40 schools is just not sustainable going into it, but, um. I don't know. Yeah, let's. I mean, well, don't you have to play what three matches before? Matches? Yeah, it was, there were a couple things. Yeah. Like two years ago, we started doing three matches, which is more of a ranking thing, just so people had an accurate rating going into nationals. There's a little bit more than just playing your first matches um, to make sure everybody's being played and placed fairly in in especially the bracket on Sunday and the pool play. Or whatever it's round robin ish, you know. It's definitely not a round robin, definitely not pool play anymore. But mm-hmm. the games that are played on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kevin, talk about your proposal. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. So all those things that you guys pointed out are true. The uh, the fact that we haven't really changed the way nationals has been structured beyond a couple minor things, such as the pool play thing such as the requirement to have three games played. Uh, outside of those things, it's all the same, where everyone gets into that main bracket, and it's only one team per school, all of that. Uh, so, yeah, in terms of my proposal, uh, and I'll try not to, like, rant too long here. I'll try and make it as brief as possible. Uh, so it's a two-parted proposal, and they sort of tie together where – Part one is discussing the idea of B-teams, and I kind of want to hear all of your takes on this part as well, on just the importance of different schools having B-teams that actually play in more events. And as a league, it'll help us grow so much and have all of our schools become more more successful and more sustainable if we're able to have every school 
with B teams that are competing consistently and it's it becomes something where schools are incentivized to actually have B teams show up to tournaments, travel to tournaments and compete and also schools are they have an incentive to actually agree to play against B teams even if it is your varsity team. So all those different things go into it and that's why part one of the proposal is simply uh, schools will now be allowed to field B teams at any tournament they attend, and those B teams will be given a Gonzalez rating, uh, just the same as they w- if they were an A team. So yeah, I think the, some... the key component behind this is making sure their performance is tracked, and even if there's only like a couple teams in the league that you know do this, that has, that's not going to stop uh, other teams from joining the league or even more players being doing because. You look at Grand Valley, um, they've gone undefeated in huge swaths of, of streaks, and that hasn't stopped teams from playing other teams and growing the league to where it is now. Um, and, yeah. This was actually I, this was something that Kevin and I had talked about, um, and I know Kevin had also like kind of put out a feeler sort of thing question within um, – within like uh, the Facebook group that has all the NCDA captains and whatnot. And I, and I pretty much kind of mentioned my take on it. That was like, if we want to incentivize, incentivize B games, um, it's not just enough to, you know, it's not just enough to say like, Hey, you should field a B team. You have to give incentive for other teams to actually be willing, like other teams being other varsity programs being willing to play against B teams and the reason the reasoning for that is because kind of like you said zig um i would say a large majority of our organizations aren't probably going to be able to you know sustain b teams at least not in their first years and so as a result if you're you know a varsity program and you get scheduled against you know a b team right now that counts as an unranked match um there's not really any reason for you to compete in that game because all it really is, is it just gives an opportunity for yourself to, for you to tire yourself out or, you know, potentially get hurt and you get no benefit of winning. Um, there's no reason to go hard cause you don't, there's no, you know, there's no backlash if you lose either. And um, kind of like the two, the two fields of thought that I come from with this is one Um, I think that this could be really beneficial for some of the um, newer programs and more specifically like programs that, you know, aren't having quite had the on-court success that maybe other teams have. And so by being able to have opportunities at playing opponents that are more, you know, their caliber, it gives them a chance to be more competitive, but not only just more competitive, but also, um, you know, giving them more opportunity to like, giving them more opportunity to actually like develop their own skills and um, that sort of way, you know, it's no fun for, um, you know, let's just say, let's just say uh, university of Michigan makes its team next year and then just gets absolutely spanked by Saginaw, Michigan state and grand Valley state. That's not, you know, that's not really encouraging for them to want to come back. However, if they get an opportunity to play, you know, even like Michigan state B for example, you know, it's a more competitive game. You know, they'll the participants from University of Michigan in this example are going to be more willing to say, "Hey, you know what? Let's keep working at this, and we'll you know get better." Um, 
you know, from that perspective. I think one of the biggest, you know, examples of that, and I'm glad that they're still making strides to, you know, continue as a program was Western Michigan. You know, their first tournament as a program was the Michigan Dodgeball Cup. And, um, you know, unfortunately, it wasn't exactly the best on-court results for them. But, um, you know, if they had an opportunity to ease into, you know, the progression of joining the league, like playing, like I said, a Grand Valley B or a Michigan State B, um, I think that really would have been, I think that could be really beneficial for them. No, yeah, I agree, Hunter, because, uh, like, it does play a role, like, if a team goes to a tournament and they lose, like, 10-0 to, like, another team, and, like, it's kind of, like, a big, like, morale, like, I don't know, decreaser. Demoralizing. Demoralizing, there we go. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I know, so, I mean, when I played for Stevenson, like, there weren't a lot of wins with that team, but, like, when matches were, like, close, even if even if you lose, like, more people were having fun just because it was, like, competitive. It wasn't like you were just getting, like, slaughtered. Yeah. So that definitely does play a factor in having, like, another team B team when there's a new school in the league. Yeah. And to use another real example, I know Colby Bryceland, who was a, is a former captain for Akron University, he said that back when they were starting out, the only reason that that program stuck around and didn't, you know, go defunct is because there are other teams in Ohio that also were up and coming, such as Baldwin Wallace, uh, like different schools like that. They said if they didn't have teams like that that were also competing, they probably would have folded because they couldn't convince people to go to tournaments unless they knew that there was a shot that they would be able to win some games. So when they found out Baldwin Wallace was going to a tournament, all of a sudden they had enough people that were willing to go. So it comes down to that as one of the definitely one of the benefits of this but bottom line is we just need to find a way to make uh, make all these different clubs more sustainable and I think that having B teams become a bigger part of our league uh, is is definitely one way in which we can achieve that so yeah so and you've, you've always um had the opinion that more people on the team allows for that team to continue if there's a major loss um, in graduation for, for a certain year. Um, exactly. And that was like one of the points behind you not uh, like going down. One of your arguments, at least in, in some of the threads about the 12 versus 15 teams back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. So the, uh, yeah, I, I was, I guess I was still for the 12 teams just because I, I could envision some of the benefits, but I was definitely worried because, like you said, uh, the issue of when it when a team becomes smaller and the club the club size becomes smaller and then you graduate a bunch of your main people, that club is going to be more susceptible to going defunct. So now that we're at a point where our, our teams are 12 on 12 games with up to 18 people on a varsity roster that's smaller than it was before so it just becomes even more likely that uh, a school that's been established for years might go defunct just because of a big graduating class and yeah when it comes to the sustainability of a of a club program if you're able to like have b teams that are flourishing and they're they're playing tournaments all the time and they're part of the club and, and they aren't they aren't all dropping out that's when you get clubs that are gonna last 
for a long, long time with no issues, no big turnovers that forced the team to maybe not be able to compete for a year or so. And yeah, I know that it, like, it's always like an argument where, well, it, just recruit more people and have them on the JV and maybe they don't play that much, but if they like dodgeball, they'll stick around. But the fact of the matter is it's, it's so much less likely to have someone sit around and go to practice and say that you're on the JV team uh, of a club dodgeball team at your school if you're not playing in any tournaments. If you can get those people to actually get to go to tournaments and compete as if it's an – like with it being an actual official game, that's going to get them way more invested and far less likely to uh, be part of the attrition that every club has to deal with every year. So, so yeah, that's part one. Uh, and we can move on. If it, do you guys yeah, have any so other like, uh, There was think? actually two last things I wanted to chime in. As, yeah, as go ahead. Like, um, and I'll try to keep it brief because I know I have a tendency to drone. Um, number one, uh, I forgot who it was that brought this up, but it's still a, it's still a really solid point that um, a lot of our like brand new teams that join, they are joining because there's someone who used to play on another NCDA team that transferred to a new school or, um, you know, as a grad assist, you know, as a graduate and that sort of thing. Um, and so a lot of the JV or B teams are typically going to be filled with freshmen. Freshmen are more likely to transfer than, you know, a sophomore juniors or seniors or, you know, five plus year person. So, you know, in the event that we can keep more of those people on and they enjoy it, and then if they happen to leave and go to another school, um, we now have a stronger base for potentially starting new programs. Um, I know off the top of my head, um, Akron was started because Sam Sacker, I'm not going to pronounce her last name right. Actually, her new she, name, her Sam, new Hutter. name. Sam Hutter, because she just got married. Um, Sam Hutter, she was a former Kent State player who, um, you know, helped found Akron's team. Uh, Bowling, Green's, uh, Bowling Green State transfer, Caleb Arnold helped start Ohio. Uh, Jeremy Shaw, a grad student at UVA, former Kent State player. Um, so those are just a, you know, a couple of examples, but, um, an, another, you know, freshman transfer example, uh, Kevin Fry, who was a freshman on the university of Kentucky's team and then founded ball state's team. So having that, I think would be, you know, a really would be really big. And then number two, um, my whole thing is more dodgeball is better, uh, for the NCDA. You know, we get more games, more content. Uh, you develop better players for the future for these programs. You can have larger practices. Uh, and you can have larger practices with more turnout. That ultimately helps develop all players. And so it's just going to improve our on-court product as well. For sure. Um, more dodgeball over less dodgeball has been a, a staple quote of the league for many years. Yep. All right. We talked a lot about the JV proposal, and I know. Like, how do we integrate this into nationals, or even like having the matches ranked um, in like a substantial way at the end of the season? Yeah, so I'll dive into that. Um, So part part two of this would be a national championship bracket restructure, and as we sort of alluded to, uh, we we'd be switching it to where. Not every team makes it into the top bracket. Um, so basically the way I describe it is there would be one 
bracket. That would be called the championship bracket. That would be the top 16 teams uh, in the Gonzalez rating system. And then any other teams that are in attendance would be in the B bracket. We can come up with some better name for it than B, the, the B bracket. But all, all teams that don't make the cut don't make that top 16 by bracket play. They're into a different bracket. So, And there's a lot of different benefits to this and reasons why I like it. But in terms of incorporating the B teams into it, uh, the way that I, I envision it is all the B teams are, are gathering a Gonzalez rating throughout the year uh, based on the games that they play. So they're going to be rated somewhere in there, just like all the all the varsity teams that are out there. Um, obviously, far less likely for them to be towards the top, but even if a, if a B team does make it, within that top 16, they aren't eligible for the championship bracket. That's only for varsity teams. Uh, so you basically filter out all the B teams and then take the top 16, put those in the championship bracket, and then you go back with all of the remaining teams and you seed those in the B bracket based on their Gonzalez rating. So uh, the example that I had, it had Towson's B team, which was ranked... I think like 15th in the country. Uh, and this is just a hypothetical. Well, let's say Towson has a JV team that plays a lot of games and they get some big wins over other teams that are pretty good, like Ohio, Ohio State, something like that. Uh, even if they're ranked 15th, they don't get to make it into that championship bracket, but they would be the one seed in the B bracket. So uh, I think that the benefits of this are it's going to get teams to actually bring their B teams to nationals if they do have B teams when we get to a place where everyone does have B teams. Um, and then also just the splitting up of, of the, of the brackets to have a championship bracket is pretty cool in my opinion, because it gives another like added uh, significance to the regular season. It becomes uh, sort of a baseline that teams are going to try and, uh, chase after throughout the year those middle of the pack teams that uh, in in the current format they know they're probably going to lose first round to one of the best teams or in the round of 16 they're going to lose but if a team like DePaul, Cleveland State, whatever a team that is in that range where they could get into the top 16 now that's like something that they get to chase and, and possibly achieve as a goal is to get into that championship bracket next year, you know? So I think that's another cool thing that I think about when I think about this. And then, yeah, the timing factor that you guys talked about, uh, and this is my last point, um, is that having a 16-team bracket and then a B-team bracket off to the side as well is going to be uh, slightly easier to go about when you have a limited amount of courts and a limited amount of time than if you had a huge, when we get to having like 40 teams at a tournament, that would take so long to get through all of those rounds if everyone's in the same bracket. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of different cool benefits to this. What do you guys think? Uh, yeah, I think so too. I mean, having the two brackets, I think is definitely better because having like a 40-team bracket, you would have to wait for like the everything to finish before you could start your next match. I mean, I guess you can if, like, the other team is ready to, but then the bracket gets all, like, messed up. I mean, we've seen that in, like, some tournaments before where, like, 
two teams are ready to play, but then like there's no one there refing because there's too many other matches going on. But if you can like separate to like sixteen and sixteen, then like everybody can just focus on like their bracket with like those teams involved, and it just makes it more organized. So that definitely would help for like working on courts and like managing time. Yeah, that's a lot of teams. Um, like four yeah. teams. That's that's an insane amount. Um, and even then, like we can. Four to six courts for for nationals and the way we've grown, um, it's not unmanageable. Yeah. To, uh, to have a sixteen team tournament plus a legitimate side bracket um, with a little trophy at the end of it, because uh, you know if you're the best of that, I imagine there's going to be a trophy. They're going to get inscribed. They get to take it to their school. Um, yeah. I think that's another cool thing is all those teams that aren't good enough. Right now, they go into the final day of, of nationals knowing they're going to get beat in the first round. But if we change to this, then they'll actually have something to look forward to on that second day of nationals and possibly winning that B bracket, which would be a cool thing, whether it's a JV team or a varsity team that just barely didn't make the cut into the championship bracket. So, yeah. Now, Bailey, what do you think that there might be like some teams that like they're hovering over like that 17th or like 16th seed? And they may want to purposely lose just so they can be like in the B bracket and not in the championship bracket? Uh, that's definitely a worry. Um, but I guess the way I look at it is the benefits of this would far outweigh the drawbacks of that scenario possibly happening. And even if it does happen, if, if there's a team that kind of loses on purpose to fall to 17, then by all means, like, another team is more deserving of being in that championship bracket anyway. But, yeah, I mean... Even then, hopefully, with the ranking system, it's hard to consider. And, re it, I mean, it's... By design, it's a little bit more hard to intentionally do that and know where you're going to end up. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a really five by, you know, and it relies on every, every other team's performance as well. Yeah. So, it's... True. Sometimes that, that works to our advantage. Yeah, hopefully that doesn't happen. And then, I mean, also, like I said, I, I think that people view that making the cut into the top 16 as some a milestone that their team can achieve during a certain season. So even if you are like the 17th, 16th best team, uh, going after that goal is what they're going to want to do anyway. So I really, really don't don't expect that would happen, and hopefully it doesn't. I actually, so, um, Mario, I wanted to say my bigger concern than a team intentionally losing to end up in the B bracket, my bigger concern would be a team who is, let's just say, like a 14 seed, like three months before nationals, and they say we don't want to play because we don't, we don't want to risk falling outside of that top 16, you know, until then. Um, I think that's a, I think that's a more real concern than you know teams intentionally losing to go to the B bracket. But um, the bottom line is, uh, the bottom line is teams can you know strategize and pick and choose their schedules anyways. Um, you know it's no secret that if you're hosting an event, you're going to choose a schedule that's most favorable to you anyways. And ultimately, if teams do decide to do that, it's only really going to hurt them in the long run because as we talked about beforehand, more dodgeball is better. You miss out on experience. You miss out on opportunities to, you know, improve and improve your teamwork um, and even improve your ranking in that sort of sense. 
Um, the other thing is this just adds a lot more drama to the Saturday games at Nationals, considering now those games, not even just, uh, you know, seeding implications from the stance of, you know, the entire bracket, you know, the entire bracket, but even stand, even from a standpoint of, oh, qualifying for, you know, the, you know, the top bracket and it just adds more drama in that respect. And I think that's a, I think that's something that'll bring out the competitiveness in a lot of teams as well. Um, so to your point, I don't necessarily, I don't think it's, I don't think it's realistic to things that to think that teams are going to intentionally throw games to end up in a, you know, a secondary bracket. Um, just because with my perspective and time in the league, I think too many people have pride in this and, you know, want to be the best and don't like losing. So um, yeah. it just kind of goes against the culture. Yeah. Um, so you talk about culture. Yeah. There's always been an issue, like the idea of fairness in the NCDA and like every, you know, our ranking system is very accurate for being fair for nationals. So the whole point of it is behind it is to be fair and rank teams fairly. So do you think this proposal achieves those aims of being fair to everybody as much as possible and also promoting more dodgeball? Or what do you think? So, and from my perspective, I think it's I think it's fair in the sense that everybody knows the expectation going in that's like you have to meet this threshold in order to qualify, you know, for the top bracket. Um, but personally... And I've proposed this in the past beforehand, and who knows if I'll ever, who knows if anyone will ever agree with this, but I have a personal thought that rankings should probably be reset at the beginning of the year because, in theory, you know, let's just say, for example, Towson, who just won everything this year, um, they realize they, you know, turn over a lot of people and their first tournaments don't go too, too hot and they drop down from, you know, one to, you know, let's just, let's just say six, for example. Um, if it, uh, if we have like our ranking system, the way that it is where there's such a large carryover from the year before, um, I think you run into that issue, like I said, where you could potentially have teams that just decide not to play just to not damage their ranking uh, further down the line. Um, I think that's a, I think that's a legitimate concern. And if you're talking about a ranking system where in theory, you know, like I said, uh, Towson could play three games, go two and one qualify for nationals. And then there's, it's literally impossible for them to fall outside of the top 16 at that point. Um, I think that's, that's something that one could argue is not fair, quote unquote. Um, but Again, it still goes against the culture of the league, and I think I don't think people will abuse it in that sense. Um, I think it's going to fuel more competitiveness than anything else. I'm just bringing up, you know, playing devil's advocate here. No, it's it's definitely a good good uh, point to make, especially because like some teams maybe like I'm just going to say Towson for example, like you know, finish really high at the end of the year, and if they have like a big loss in like a graduation class, they might lose like some of their top players. And then they're not as competitive as they were the year before, but like they're still like pretty good. Like, I see, I see what you're saying though, because like they may not want to like risk losing get matches going to more tournaments because they know that they don't have like the the seniors that they had the year before, but they're still competitive. And I, I get what you're saying with the whole like 
ranking system, how it can like yeah. be a factor. I mean, yeah, and actually, I'll use another. I'll cite another example from the literal opposite perspective because the reason that I had proposed that um, a while back was when I was on VCU. Um, for those who may or may not know, VCU was absolute garbage for um, a couple years before I had before I had joined on. I mean, I think. I think VCU was like a combined, uh, what was it? I think it was one in, it was one in twenty-seven in like the first three seasons or something like yeah, that. But anyways, right. abysmal. What was that? That's about right. Yeah, like one in twenty-seven in like the first three th- seasons. So anyways, like abysmally bad. Uh, that was through. That was so. That was from like roughly twenty twelve-ish through the end of the twenty fifteen season. But then in the 2016 season, uh, we turned things around in a pretty decent way. Um, But going into Nationals, we were ranked 15th. After our Saturday play, we ended up ranked 12th. And one of the things that I did when I ran, like, my own personal calculations, because I was able to get the formula from Uzig, the secret sauce, and, you know. uh, (laughs) And, yeah, and adjusted things. if VC, if all teams had started off on an equal scale, VCU would have gone into nationals as the 12th seed, and so having that three seed differential, I mean, that's you know that's ridiculous. That's the difference of, um, you know, playing central. That's the difference of playing, you know, potentially Grand Valley. Well, let's see. That year, the fi- the fifth seed was um, was Saginaw, and the second seed was Central Michigan, and I mean. You know that's a that's a pretty substantial gap to overcome. So especially um, at at how top heavy our league is. Um, yeah. Like the first first tier, which is Grand Valley at the time, and like followed shortly by like CMU, and then a large drop off from like two through seven at that that amount of time. And that's really hasn't changed much. Um, so it's weird. Yeah. It's it's like. And that could play a factor in now if we do the championship bracket, like for teams that are on like that 15 seed, 16 seed. Not saying like teams uh, may like not just miss out on games, but teams that could have probably made the top 16 championship bracket if the power rankings were reset at the beginning of the year. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to talk. We don't need to necessarily talk about this too too long because I know we there's a lot of stuff from the le- there's a lot of moving layers. And- yeah, um, but there's definitely a lot of things to consider. Um, ultimately, I do think Kevin's proposal is the best for competitiveness, and I think our, if we're talking about the um, the 16-team bracket, I think it's the best for competitiveness. Um, I think it brings out, you know, I think it brings out the best competition in the league, and also incentivizes um, the Saturday games a lot more, um, especially for like what would be considered at this point like mid-table teams. Um, and then also it helps speed up the pro- it helps speed up play and makes nationals uh, potentially more accommodating because if we end up in a situation where you know let's just say national so nationals is at Ohio State this year I don't think it's unreasonable to think that potentially 30 teams could show up and if all 30 teams you know are in one bracket um, you're talking about being there from 8 a.m. until potentially not even being done until like 8 p.m. Um, just based off of the number of courts. So um, logistics, I think, is another really important issue to take into consideration. But um, overall, I like the proposal. Um, and that's just kind of my stance from it. 
Um, Mario, do you have any passing comments or any more questions? Uh, no, I do like uh, the proposal. I do like how uh, like top team, top seeded B teams are like can be considered top seeds in it because then that could be even like an incentive of like you know, Towson, you know, won the championship bracket and their B team won the B bracket. You know, like it it's a huge uh, promotional opportunity for their club. It's like we. We have two events and we two championships and we took both championships. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Like, it shows like how good of a club you have, not just a good top team, but like your club itself. You know. Yeah, and I, before I, I'm gonna cut off Kevin probably here, but I'd also like to point out that like there are plenty of other organizations that do this. Um, club baseball does a Division One and Division Two series. Um, where you can have potentially Penn State A and Penn State B win both. Um, within club volleyball, I mean, they have they have an open invite to their national tournament too, but they separate it into, like, championship, gold, and silver brackets because they've got, like, over 200 or something teams that show up every year. Um, and so, like, it's not a, it's not a unique idea. Um, so there's definitely other real world examples that we can pull from, uh, as far as, you know, our rationale for having something like this. Um, but yeah, sorry. I still think it's creative. Good job, Bailey. <laughs> yeah. This is definitely something that other sports do. And bottom line is we need to figure out ways as much as possible to make our clubs better and more sustainable and stronger moving forward. And I think that having this type of thing with, with B teams being able to compete and then also the two brackets, it's just going to make the league as a whole stronger. And it's going to seem weird having two brackets that first year or two, but it'll become the norm eventually. And, yeah, I just see so many countless benefits. We probably haven't even mentioned all of them. We haven't thought of all of them yet, but there's so many different ways that this will be a benefit to our league. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Um, so, like, I, I just wanted to end with um, a community goal. Like, if you have an idea about this, like, you got to speak up because the idea behind the league has always been captain participation and even just regular member ideas because there's, you know, 800-some players um now or so and that's a lot of pool and a lot of crowdsourcing and i'm sure there's ideas and that's the great thing about our league is anybody can propose anything um and we get to talk about it so yeah um any comment i passing no i i like the proposal a lot i think it's great thanks i wish it was around when i played for depaul Either one of those. Yeah, I, Even just I an opportunity to have fun with people playing on your your level mm-hmm. is yeah. a good thing for a lot of those other teams. Because like, they might go in, they, they're liking, they want to do the, but they want to have even competition and actually mm-hmm. compete. They don't want to, you know, have eight people get out in a, well, 12 people. Mm-hmm. Eight people. Yeah. I mean, you're, yeah, you, you can play eight people, right? Yeah. 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 You can. Yeah. So. Yeah. That is, if you get eight people out in like 45, 60 seconds and you have a 10 0 game, mm-hmm. that's not that fun. 
unless you start playing like mixing it up but you know even good competition when DePaul played like I played we always had fun no matter what but it was great to play a team like I didn't play Akron but Western Kentucky that was our level at the time mm-hmm. it was fun I really think they were at our level I don't <laughs> think they were at their level I, I DePaul is on its own level <laughs> undefeated bro yes undefeated it could be undefeated in the B bracket. Yes. Um, it's always undefeated. It's it's a column specifically for in the stats. Um, all right. I, I just want to thank you guys for um, joining us for the podcast today. And uh, um, I like what you're doing as exec board members. And uh, congratulations on winning the presidency on a post. Hunter. Hunter, good job. Hunter. Yeah, it was a really tough campaign. Now I'm really hoping that uh, Bernie Sanders pulls off an, uh, you know, an unprecedented win, unopposed as well. Nice, just unopposed. Um, so yeah, uh, if everybody wants to sign off, just uh, yep. say what you're gonna do this weekend. Okay. Oh Jesus. Um, <laughs> I'm Mario Romanelli. I will be working and playing the spike ball tournament. Nice. I'm Hunter Ford, and I just moved into a new apartment, so I'm going to continue unpacking and doing a lot of laundry. So, that's my plan. And Kevin's going to die. Um, I'm Kevin. I'm uh, also playing spike ball like Mario. Uh, and yeah, I just want to say thanks to you guys for coming up with the idea to do this podcast. We definitely need to get more podcasts going as a league. And it's always cool to see the alumni that want to start stuff like that. So thank you, guys. Yeah, no problem. Um, Yeah, so I'm Zygmunt Maloney. I'm here in Wakanda with Mario, uh, Grant, and my wife, Becky, who's cooking some pizza. But, uh, yeah, I'm not doing anything this weekend. Just work. But uh, this has been Average Joe's Podcast, and uh, thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening to Average Joe's Podcast. Be sure to check out more episodes of Average Shows on iTunes or our website, ncdadodgeball.com. Until next time, just remember the five D's of dodgeball. Dodge, duck, dip, dive, and die. Bye-bye.